I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Uh, if you open back up to the hymn, I should have said just leave it open. Just wanted to comment on this hymn. Uh, a very beautiful hymn, and each stanza is in a way self-contained. So oftentimes you'll sing a hymn, and then the, the answer is the next one or continues the thought. But you see in many of these stanzas here the complete thought running through so you can maybe just meditate on like one verse each day or and think about that. Like the first verse, in God, my faithful God, I trust when dark my road. And a pastor friend of mine, Pastor uh, Peppercorn, wrote a book, and, uh, When Dark My Road. He had suffered with depression, wrote a book on it. But uh, here he said, my faithful God, when, I, when my road is dark, great woes may overtake me. Maybe you felt that. Then he goes, yet he will not forsake me. My troubles, he can alter. My hand lets nothing, his hand lets nothing falter. So we have, my road is dark. You know, you, a dark road, what happens? You fall down, you trip, and yet here, he holds me by the hand. His hand won't let me falter. He leads me and guides me. So we have that verse. The next verse, my sin fills me with care, concern, dread, yet I will not despair. I build on Christ who loves me. From this rock, Christ, nothing moves me. To him I will surrender. To him my soul's defender. So here, my sins fill me with care and concern, despair, and yet here, he's my soul's defender in the midst of these troubles. The third stanza, if death my portion be, which it shall be, it brings great gain to me. It speeds my life's endeavor to live with Christ forever. He gives me joy and sorrow, come death now or tomorrow. And so, uh, here again, as we ponder the approaching death, we can say, but yet he gives me joy because in death he will be with me. He'll be my, he's my life's endeavor. Fourth stanza. Oh, Jesus Christ, my Lord, so meek in deed and word, you suffered death to save us because your love would have us. Be heirs of heavenly gladness when ends this life of sadness. So here again, there is much sadness which fills our lives. There's joys too, but much sadness. And he's the one that in the midst of all this will give us the joy and the gladness uh, throughout life's journey. And then the last stanza, so be it, or amen. So be it then, I say, with all my heart each day, dear Lord, we all adore you. We sing for joy before you. Guide us while here we wander, and wander has a sense of aimlessly or lost, until we praise you yonder. And so we have, it's a beautiful hymn, uh, and it gives the opportunity just to spend, focus and meditate on one verse at a time, one stanza to, to uh, ponder God's faithfulness in the midst of our life's difficulties. Any questions on that hymn or additional comments that you might have? Okay, then let's, let us turn to the verse for the week. Matthew 7 15 and 16. Beware of false prophets together who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Okay. Uh, this is part of our gospel for today. And just some thought, just you know, wolves and sheep. And just think about this so you get the picture. In the evening, you hear a noise in the backyard. 
You decide to go out and look. When you step outside, would you prefer to see a sheep or a wolf? Just, just saying. Which would you prefer? Now, maybe some of you would want a wolf because you want to get your gun, shoot it, and get a nice something wolf, wolfish, you know, a nice wolf shirt, color, whatever you want. But, um, but there are all coyotes and things like that as well. But just think, you know, we know, we understand a dread a wolf can bring into us as if we see it. Uh, I mean, we, when a neighbor's dog gets loose, it's a little bit ferocious and gets in our yard, we get a little bit nervous about those things. But yeah, here, a wolf is a picture of, of greed, ravenous uh, nature there, uh, tearing and, uh, uh, life from a, its victim. So have that in the background. So beware of false prophets. And it doesn't say it here, but I, I wanted to kind of contrast it. Uh, you have the word inwardly. And in a sense, you could say, beware of false prophets who outwardly come to you in sheep's clothing. That, um, and that's the emphasis here, even on the word clothing, uh, is the outward appearance. But beware. This word beware is just a generic term. Uh, the context will determine whether it's something to be afraid of to be, or something we should be encouraged uh, to do. Um, Jesus will warn his disciples about the false prophets, the Pharisees, the limit of the Pharisees, and things of that nature. However, in the epistles, uh, we're encouraged to pay attention to God's word. So here the context, false prophets, wolves, and of the like. And so it's translated, beware. Beware of them. And if you just take a look in 1 Timothy... Uh, and I forgot to write the verse down here. Let's take it. I might have to... Oh, verses... Um, okay, First Timothy. I forgot to write the chapter, but I got the verse of the numbers. First Timothy. Okay, yes, Verse, uh, chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Okay, in here Paul uses the word um, that for, it's translated beware in both senses in this uh, chapter. He'll say, um, chapter, verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will be de depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. So he said, so in a sense, the uh, they, they will listen to them, but here these evil spirits will come. So you have the bad things uh, that you should be, okay, those people are being deceived. Don't be deceived by these things. Don't uh, beware of them. Others will be taking heed. And then the other, in the, verse 13, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, and spirit, and purity, and faith, till I come. Give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So here he's telling the congregation uh, that what the world pays attention to the false teachings, you should be aware of those in verse 1, but you should be embracing or paying attention to the good teaching, what you've heard from him, 
what he's taught uh, and what you've learned from your youth. So till I come, give attention, pay attention to the reading God's word, to exhortation, to preaching, to doctrine, to the faith of the church and the like. So here we have this word, you know, it's used, it's just a neutral term, but we're called upon to beware of false prophets. And they're going to be out there. And this is a, we don't realize that. Uh, sometimes we want to think everything, that someone's really good and all that. But beware. You have to look at what uh, they're doing and saying. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so these false prophets, how um, they come to you in sheep's clothing, how will you know who the false prophets are? By their word. What comes out of their mouth. This word false prophets, as Pastor Christensen noted, is a combination of two words, false, pseudo, and prophet. You know, prophet, pseudo-prophets, pseudo-prophetate. And we tell the difference by listening to what comes out of their mouth. And uh, I think we're in a world today that is so enamored by the glitz and the glamour of, uh, and we'll take, well, this is, and we'll tend to listen to things that are uh, beautiful and powerful. And if something doesn't come across that way, we tend to ignore it. I, I go back to this example. It's been 30 some years. On my vicarage, we were having a council meeting, and this one gentleman, he was dressed to the T, suit, tie, sharp looking. He said, I ran out of gas. Can you, I need 20 bucks. And, uh, and they, they said, 20 bucks for gas. I mean, that, that's a long time ago, but they gave me money. Okay, fine with me. I mean, I wouldn't give him money. And I, I thought it was interesting. They didn't know him, but he just... And then a few weeks later, a young single mom, disheveled. Uh, you could tell, you know, she probably hadn't had a chance to, you know, take care of herself physically uh, in cleanliness with her and her baby. It was just, it was, they just looked rather raggedy. And she was asking for help, and not even just, you know... And the people sat her down and... Uh, interrogated her, asked her all sorts of questions. Are you going to waste this money? Are, all, all these things. I mean, I don't remember the details. I the imagery here. You have this sharp-looking person come and never heard from this guy again. You know, all the promise. Oh, I'll, I come by. I'll, I'll pay. Never, never came back. And this young woman didn't get any help, and she uh, 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 was um, just kind of interrogated. I thought, but. I, it's by the looks, this guy looked sharp, clean and everything, good speaker, and she was uh, not the same way. She was uh, disheveled, uh, nervous, and, and, and the like. And I was very saddened by that. It kind of taught me a lot. That you, but you can't judge a book by its cover. You've got to listen. Uh, and these weren't prophets. These are just people, how we look. And, and um, there are many false prophets in the world and many of them are, have, show the glitz and the glamour. They show the power. I mean, you have the Joel Osteens uh, that uh, they want you to look at the success I have. And this is really nothing new. It's been around for thousands of years. We have the success, the power, and people gravitate toward this and think it's good. And uh, they flatter. If you hear these, the world, these false prophets, they will flatter uh, the listener. They'll soothe the itching ear. Uh, you know, what you want to hear and the like. Uh, and they have, have been and will continue to the end of the age. 
Because the work of the false prophet is to undermine the work of Christ. And so if Christ's word's out there, the false prophets are continually going to be there until the end of this age. But we are called upon uh, to test their teaching. First uh, John chapter 4, we're called on to test the teaching of these false prophets. Just don't, uh, and, this, and you're supposed to test your teachers. Ask questions. If something's not clear, ask for clarification. This is what uh, we do as Christians. Uh, and then remember that these false prophets are mouthpieces of the devil. And I've often said, is the devil going to walk up to you, Steve, and say, hi, I'm the devil, Steve, and I want you. No, the devil ain't going to. He's not going to have the horns coming out and look all you know, ferocious and all that stuff. He's going to look sweet. He's going to look kind, uh, whether uh, uh, and beautiful or, or very innocent or weak and appear that way. Uh, and so we have to uh, take note of this, that false prophets will be here and, and to test their teaching. Uh, I just, one moment I hear, false prophets are children of the devil and they are enemies of Christ's righteousness. If they take you away from Christ, if they don't focus on Christ and his work, they're false prophets. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his righteousness. And that's what we want to hear from our preachers and teachers. Then um, in this text, clothing, sheep's clothing. And this um, is a basic word, just a cover. It's a covering that it hides what's underneath, in a sense. Your clothing hides what's underneath. That's what you wear. It's not your skin, you know, it's not, but it's, it covers you. It's an outer garment that's described as a wedding garment. It also is used at Jesus' transfiguration. His clothing became white as light that, uh, that, that revealed who he was. And we're told that the body is more than clothing. It's that outward fashioning, our bodies are more than that. We're not, we don't hide we try to hide and conceal who we are by our clothing, but indeed, the clothing only hides what is underneath. And in this case, we have the ravenous wolves. And I like that word ravenous, it's a nice word, I think. But, um, and uh, so we'll, ravenous, let's jump to that one. I, like, I was looking that one up. And the basic concept behind this word is taking what is not yours. It's, it's through fear and intimidation. It's also used of extortion. You know, people threaten to get something. Um, and an excellent image of this um, is a picture, picture of a pack of wolves, coyotes. I, I've even seen like hyenas, you know, all those wild animals. They just get in there and they'll fight for this carcass. They'll fight each other for the carcass. They don't care about any. Who do they care about? Themselves. That's all they care about. And so just, just imagine, you've probably seen somewhere in a nature, these fighting these animals. Yes, Pastor Christensen. Are you talking about ar arpado? The word ravenous? Uh, ar arpado. Arpargase? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the word, one of the etymologies that I found interesting was, do you know what a harpy is from like um, yeah. fantasy? It's like a, it's an evil animal, a harpy. Oh. Okay, no. It's in the obvious answer, yeah, but um, it, it steals or snatches away um, viciously. And so if you call someone a harpy, it's like calling them a witch or a hag or a harpy. Mm, okay. That's the word. Okay. Well, my 
microphone guy is gone and my other microphone back there. Well, I'll just, that it's a, the harp, harp, the word behind the Greek goes into mythology and the one, the ravenous greed. I, I was going to get to greedy. That was, you know, the greedy, you know, this taking. Uh, and other, I felt rapacious, insatiable. I would probably, this, you know, even though they, you know, they, they'll rip up and tear this carcass up, they want more. They just, the bloodthirst that they have. Um, and so that word, so they're just not wolves, but they're ravenous wolves. Uh, and that's where it speaks of, I thought it's interesting, it's also used as an extortioner, someone who takes by threat or fear from someone else. And um, so they're ravenous wolves. They're out for the destruction, they're greed, they only care about themselves. And you will know them by their fruits. And um, actually, from their, it's tra- it would be from their fruits, you will know them. So Christ is emphasizing the fruit here. Um, what is a fruit? Just, what's a fruit? Just something that grows from a plant, basically. I mean, you can, you can, just a, you know, something that grows from a plant. Um, in the t- New Testament, something that grows from us, it's visible in some way, and the act of a person, a work, a deed, uh, something which is produced. Uh, but it also is used in the word faith. And I would say, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their faith. Who... And when we talk about faith, we're not just talking about the deed. We're talking about their object of their faith. You will know these false prophets by the object to which they point you. Their fruit. Their faith. Where do these false prophets want to point you? Who do they want to point you to? You're right. Yourselves. Yours themselves. Inwardly. They want to both inwardly. Whereas the prophet sent by God, where should he be pointing you? The cross of Jesus Christ. The love which was displayed by God and the pouring out of Christ's blood. This, so this is the simple way to test. And this is why uh, Pastor Christensen said, you know, you have, there are false prophets out in this world. You'll see them all over the place. Pictures and news and media. And they are vested just like us. But the devil's going to, he mimics He's not going to be something. He's going to try to deceive through that. And so you have to listen to their mouths, what comes out of their mouths. And if it's about self-satisfying, making yourself happy, and all these other things the world tries to do with... uh, We have church bodies that are embracing the woke culture. Uh, This is something that uh, I came across. I brought it up when I... My secular job... You know, I just try to treat other people as I want them to treat me. That's what I did. That's all I wanted to do. And the person leading the workshop, the six-hour workshop on diversity, (laughs) yes, said, no, 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 no. That's the golden rule. There's the platinum rule. Have you ever heard the platinum rule? Love your neighbor as your neighbor wants to be loved. Look it up. Look at platinum rule. It's there. It, it, that, that, so basically, and you're like, how, I don't know what you want, but I know who Christ is. And I know how he, and, and, and all. But yeah, this is our world today. And, the, and you see it expounded in so-called the churches that identify themselves as Christian. It's out there. Uh, you have this uh, church up in Minnesota that did this rainbow creed. You know, they just, it was wild. It was, well, 
Oh, the Sparkle Creed. Well, yeah, they talk about Sparkle Creed. Well, you know, kind of sparkling all that stuff, but the Sparkle Creed. And they did it in a church that people would identify the world as Christian. And you're like, well, this, this is where, so you have to test the spirits. And, and these people come across as very nice. And it's kind of sad. Sometimes, you know, Paul didn't come across nice all the time. You know, oftentimes the faithful preachers don't always come across nice all the time because they are sinners too. And uh, they, are, they struggle with that. Whereas the devil, doesn't, he, he will make himself look nice and make you feel comfortable. Yes, Bob? Can a Christian be a false prophet? Oh. They can, a Christian can be misled and deceived in such a way that they may promote false doctrine. And this is that fine line where they, that someone as a Christian, they accept, but maybe they adopt a, a belief that, you know, we should just love everybody. Well, I love God, but then that, as that love, I gotta love people, it, it starts warping. And they may adopt something that's false, and it, as, over time, that will lead them away from the true gospel. And you'll see, when I was reading the early church history, all these false doctrines started off within the church. And they were just a little twist. And then at that, that twist, just kind of as each generation of this follower, it just corrupted the doctrine more to the point where you had clear people clearly teaching false doctrine and false prophets. But oftentimes it starts off innocuous. People, oh, they're just innocuous, and so they'll just leave it that. And then it just builds and grows. But, uh, you know, to be, uh, can a Christian be persuaded for a while to follow false doctrine? Yes. But a false prophet, once it's pointed out it's false doctrine, and they continue to hold to it, they're, 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 it's, they're, they're clearly of Satan. I mean, there have been preachers over the centuries that when someone came to them and told them, oh, what you're preaching is not in accordance with Scripture, and it's pointed out to them, they have repented of that and started be, and con, begun confessing the truth. So uh, we, we have to realize that will happen as well, that those who are deceived will repent and confess the truth. Does that help? I don't know. Okay. Any other comments, questions? Yes, Professor. Paul up here. It's not that easy, is it, Lance? No, I, I don't. Pastor thinks I just, it's easy. I. <laughs> um, regarding the uh, passage on the board there, uh, apparently the assumption is, at least in part, that the uh, people that need to be aware are sufficiently catechized in order to recognize uh, truth and, and falsity. Correct. Uh, mm -hmm. And that may and, not uh, that may not always be the case. Well, I'll be very blunt. Over the years, um, the children of this congregation who have memorized the catechism so by fourth grade, uh, and they it's in their heart. Have noticed things when you know there's things that are wrong spoken, and if if a child who's been catechized can make, recognize there's something wrong, 
I think us as adults, as we are catechized continually, we'll be able to see more. But yes, it is true. That's why we come to the divine service. That's why we come to Bible class. That's why we have, you ask questions of your pastor when things, when you have issues that come up at work that you're dealing with or within your family and that people say things that are odd, you know, how do I deal with this? That you become aware and learn. But yeah, this is part of uh, the flock is to be catechized. And that's why uh, we pray, for, that's why our academy, our catechesis of our new members and the like. Does that answer your question or address, uh, address your question? I should say. Uh, yes. Uh, also, it might be years uh, before the fruits of the false prophets are Correct. manifest. Correct. That you, it, and you, you have to recognize that, that, it, uh, that that bad seed may take time. Uh, and uh, you have to wait. Sometimes you have to, but you have to be ever diligent. To continue, because even as Christ said, you know, he, he went at the harvest, he does, he's not going to pull out the tares because wheat might be uh, ruined. We might not be able to actually deal with it until the end times because of some of these things. But we want to address it when we see the false doctrine, speak up and uh, be corrected in the false. You know that that way. Okay. I'm done. Okay. Okay. Now Lance is filling in for Mark. I, I chastised Mark for deciding to not stay and fill in. But anyway, so um, let us speak this uh, text together. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Okay. And why we're there, why don't we just continue on just a brief uh, excursus through Matthew 7, the rest of the gospel text today. So if you want to open to Matthew 7. You will know them by their fruits, verse 16. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Um, here indicating the fruit, the grapes are from grapevines, figs are from fig trees and the like. That's where we turn to. Although raspberries do come from prickly plants, so you have to be careful when you're picking your raspberry. But they're, they're, they're good fruit there that grows. And it said, even so, verse 17, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree uh, bears bad fruit. So because it's trunk, it's branches are corrupted, the fruit will be corrupted uh, in the end. Uh, so the good tree, you and I look at our, we have a tree, it's a plum tree. It produced all sorts of plums this year. It hasn't done anything like this in years. But they're not really good. <laughs> it's an old plum tree. Uh, it's heavy on the seed. And we've not really taken care of it because we've never done anything. And it did something this year. And, uh, uh, and this is the way, you know, a good tree. And you Garrock with your, uh, where's the, Hannah? Oh, the Keith and Hannah, are they gone? Oh, they're back? Okay, that's why you take care of your trees, your apple trees. They have an apple orchard. And they prune them and they take care of them so that they have good trees and they have a good crop. Uh, 
And he goes on here in verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And uh, therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Uh, we had, in our previous parsons, we had a uh, tree. It was really raggedy, and it, grew, it didn't grow anything. We just watched it. We were told one of the previous pastors planted a whole bunch of fruit trees. And one year, we were told it was a cherry tree, right? It was a cherry tree. That's a, it was, they said it was a cherry tree. So we, one year, a, there's a blossom on the tree, and this fruit appears. And, okay, now we're just going to watch it. <laughs> See, and it gets, it gets about that big, but it doesn't turn any red color or anything. It just starts kind of a yellowish color, and it eventually, you know, we, did it fall off? We pluck it? I can't remember what. We finishing. It was fuzzy. It was fuzzy. And I kind of were getting worried. It was an apricot tree. <laughs> no, no, you know, but we were, but, but no, never produced anything, so nobody knew. And we did cut it down after that because it didn't do anything, and it had one fruit over, you know, several years. But we do this, you know, and I'm sure uh, as the, uh, a far, uh, the Gerocks, over time, they're going to be cutting down the old trees and planting new ones in order to make sure they have good crops and the like. Um, and then, uh, but we'll close just the, I'm gonna look at some other texts throughout today's reading. I just kind of glanced through them all. So, um, got my notes here. Um, let's take, if you have a psalm in front of you, like in your bulletin, if you have that, take a look at this. Oh, sorry. Sure. Lance has got the microphone. You will know them by their fruits. Yes. And a good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Correct. One of the things that I have been pondering over the last couple of weeks is what, what you talked about with the fruit being where the faith is. Yeah. It seems to me that sometimes good works are a bad fruit. Where, where the trust is in the fruit, the good works. Good work. So I, I, you will know them by their fruit. They may look good mm -hmm. on the outside. Well, I guess that could get you back to your sheep's clothing again. Mm. But how often do we find a focus on good works as fruit as opposed to trust in Christ and his forgiveness and mercy? as the fruit? That is a good question. I mean, this is something we have to watch out for, that uh, we don't, because when we are looking to the good works that we do, our eyes are off Jesus. And I think that's where, so when someone talks about fruits and doing, all, doing certain things, certain deeds that are good, and they dismiss the cross of Christ, yes, of course, and it's, it's wrong. If they're trying, if they say yes, we need if Christ forgives us all our sins, but they want to, they're kind of mixing the two. It's mixing of law and gospel. What? Yes, guess what? It's a mixing. There we deal I mean, because we are sinner and saint at the same time. We do believe, and yet we struggle with our unbelief. We struggle with the, the difficulties of this world, and therefore. Uh, we oftentimes will look to assurance other things. You know, is my, is my job going well? Okay, maybe that's our assurance. You know, we're looking at rather than to Christ and things of that nature. But uh, 
and this is the struggle, just if someone, there are fruits of faith, loving God, loving neighbor, uh, and all. But if they become the focus, this is the goal of the preaching, is to produce those types of works rather than pre preaching faith in Christ and his work, as our hymn really beautifully states it, coming back to Jesus uh, and the like. Does Philip have a question? Kind of, are, are you just exercising your arm, Philip? Okay. You're my son. I'll let this you ask reminds me of something at, that I've seen in um, business stuff where when a metric, or is it, when a measure becomes a metric, it ceases to be a good measure or, so, or inverse. I can't remember what it is, but something along those lines. Oh, okay. 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 I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. So let's take a look at the uh, intro for this week. It's Psalm 48. And just a few things here. Um, if you have your bulletin, it'll probably be easier to follow along. Uh, in verse 3, God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. And the word refuge is a word for high place. And where did... Off, if you look at pictures from the past, you know, castles and fortresses, where were they usually built? On the high ground, a high place, because you could see everything. And so here that imagery that he is known as our, ref, our high place. And to me, I'm like, okay, he's known as her refuge, her high place. And I go then, you have the cross, was lifted up on a mountain outside Jerusalem. It was a high place. He was exalted on that. So he is our refuge. He's our high place where we find safety. And um, then in verse 11, let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. And that word is verdicts. And um, oftentimes when we hear the word judgment, we hear like judgment again, you know, judgment of guilty, you know. But a judgment can be innocent as well, not guilty. And so the daughters of Judah are glad because the judgment, the verdict against the daughter of Judah has been declared innocent or righteous. That's what we rejoice in. You have been declared righteous in Christ. This is what we rejoice in, that we have his righteousness. And then verses 9 and 10, which is the antiphon. Um, I'm going to throw out chiasm. Have you heard the word chiasm? It's like A, B, B, A type in poetry. You know, that you have that beginning and the ending. Uh, Scripture uses that, particularly the Psalms. You'll see a lot of this. It's imagery to help us. And also, it's a way to parallel things. So, we have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple. According to your name, O God, is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. So, in verse 9 and verse 10, you have loving kindness being set uh, in contrast or connection to righteousness. So the, what is the love and kindness of God? That you are declared righteous. Okay, so the loving kindness is connected to the righteousness and now in, you have the temple being contrasted in the next part, beginning of verse 10, with what? Your temple, which is a location, what is it being compared to in the beginning of verse 10? 
ends of the earth. So you have, so here the psalmist is, you know, so you have God's loving kindness, which is his righteousness, and it's not just in the temple, but it goes to the ends of the earth. So you have this imagery here of God's mercy and kindness, and it's brought forth. So as you, uh, as you see these things in the psalm, you'll see parallelisms, all these type of things. It's a way to help us remember, but it's a way for, to, to connect different images so that we get a fuller picture of God's grace and mercy. Um, then uh, in uh, Jeremiah 23, it ends at verse 29, but I want to get to that, uh, uh, verse 30. But in 16, uh, Jeremiah 23, 16, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you, do you remember? They make you, do you remember what it said? Worthless, empty, vain. And so, but if you look at verse, um, Jeremiah 23, verse 30, which we don't, it's not part of the reading, it pointed, it describes what the false prophets do, what they're guilty of. And let me see. Okay, Jeremiah 23, 30. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, the false prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words. So if someone comes into your home and they steal your things, your house is made empty. It's empty. And so here that contrast. So they make you worthless. Because what are they stealing away from you? They're stealing God's word away from you. So everything that's your foundation is gone. And so um, we have this uh, imagery throughout here of uh, the false prophets. Uh, They steal, they take away, uh, they make you uh, empty and vain. And it's repeated through here. They speak the vision of their own heart. They walk according to the dictates of their own heart. They follow the deceit of their own heart. This is repeated in this uh, text. And the heart of the prophet, these false prophets is compared then to the heart of God. In verse 20, the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. So what is the heart of God? To destroy sin and to restore us to himself. Whereas the desires of the false prophets are to do what? Separate you from Christ. Separate you from his righteousness. And yet here God's judgment, his thought toward you, is to restore you to himself. And it's almost right in the center of this section between the, uh, what the false prophets do and uh, what God does is right in the middle. He performs his mercy from his own heart. And that. And then going on, we might come um, into the epistle, um, Acts 20. Acts 20, 27.
I'm just going to read the text here. For I have, verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed. We have that word, take heed. The same as what we have, uh, beware false prophets. Take heed to yourselves and to the flock. And he's speaking to the Ephesian pastors here, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Sorrowing, sorrowing. I had trouble saying that word, sorrowing. Most of all, for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So just to jump back, verses 29 and 30. Where will the attacks on God's flock come from? Where, what? From within and from outside. This, we have to remember, and that goes back to Bob's question about false doctrine. False doctrine starts within the church. It doesn't start outside. It starts within the church. And this is the history of all heresies. They all start within the church. And this, so they will, um, that's verse 30. From among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse. And it's interesting, this word literally, I, I just translated, turn into or inward. This, so they will speaking perverse things. That is, the words they say will turn you in on yourselves to draw away the disciples after themselves. So what type of things turn people in on themselves? Their own righteousness? Their own good works? So these fault, they're going to, so with, from within the church, they're going to start talking about looking to yourself, looking to your fruit, looking what you do, I call it navel-gazing, you know? I can't do it much anymore, but anyway. Um, uh, but uh, the attack from inside, we have to be aware of that and be alert to the false doctrine of, and this is where, of good works. Um, because you'll often hear, yes, we know Jesus died for us, but what do we have to do as a Christian? What do I have to do? And as Pastor mentioned, receive. 
Receive these blessed gifts, well, behind the altar screen, behind the board there. Receive the gifts that he has given of word, of sacrament, and these are the gifts that he's given to you to receive, and which strengthens his flock, which doesn't pervert you. For these gifts turn you from yourself to Christ, to make you look to Christ and his word and his forgiveness. But the other attack, will, those will come in among you. That is from the outside. And uh, this, uh, I think, the most crass way we've seen it in the history of the church is punishment of the state against the Christian. Yes, Susan? You started at the verse after my favorite verse in that chapter. Um, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Mm -hmm. That's Paul. Yes. He was killing people. He killed Stephen. And he said, I am innocent. Oh, yeah, the, the text. And I, well, then yeah. it goes on to say, that's what the whole counsel of God is. That yes. innocence. Mm -hmm. That is true. And the text today does start at 27. The appointed text starts at 27. I have to talk to the pastor who's on the curriculum committee. <laughs> And see if we get that. Yes, verse 26. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. It's interesting. Uh, that word innocent is also translated other places. Integrity. I, am, uh, I believe it's in Psalm 26. And my integrity. Um, let's put my notes here. Yes, verse uh, 26, Psalm 26, verse 1. I have walked in my integrity, my innocence. It's the same word there, it's innocence. Um, and uh, later he says, um, I, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. Uh, the same uh, imagery that we have uh, in... Um, uh, yes, yeah, so context is always helpful. So look at verse 26. When Paul is speaking... To them, he was a murderer of the church. He killed Christians. How many of you have seen the movie Paul the Apostle? Have you seen it? It's actually very good. Is it Paul the Apostle or Paul Apostle Paul? The Apostle. Something. Um, it was in theaters about eight, nine years ago. Uh, one of the images of it is he has these haunting nightmares of all the people he killed or had killed. And they would always show up, and he would dread it. But then at the very end, they weren't coming to attack him. They were coming to welcome him into the kingdom. Even though he had killed them or caused to be killed, these people, they rejoiced that he was a preacher of the gospel and that he believed in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So the innocence that he has is his innocence in Christ. The declaration each of us has. We all know our sins. We all know where we stand before God because of who we truly are, our true works, and yet he has declared you innocent. You are forgiven all your sins. And uh, his heavenly hosts are waiting also to welcome you into that kingdom of heaven. And so um, 
Thank you, Susan, for bringing that up. Then I want to comment on verse 35, kind of going back to last week, where uh, Paul says at the end of this verse, remember the words of our Lord Jesus that it, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And what, I, last Sunday, I, what is the pattern of life? It is first to receive and then to give. It is more blessed to give. Why is it more blessed to give? Because you have received. You, the only way you have anything to give to your children, to the congregation, is that you yourself have received. And so this is the context of that, that um, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But you can't give unless you receive. I mean, that's just the, the way of, of, of life. And so, yes, and for these, he's speaking to the pastors. Give. Give the people the forgiveness of sins. Give them what I've received. Give them what you have received. Because this is the only way that they truly are blessed. Is by hearing that word of forgiveness, life, and salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ. Any comments or observations on this Acts text? And I know we're uh, running up on time, but any other comments? Okay. Let us close with the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. I got one up there.